One of our podcast sponsors is a family of film festivals, the Brightside Tavern Film Festival in Jersey City, the Point Lookout Film Festival on Long Island, and the Hang On To Your Shorts Film Festival in Asbury Park. Find them all on Film Freeway, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Brightside Tavern Film Festival takes place the first weekend of August. Also, be sure to visit iTunes or a shareduniverse.com to tune into the official Hang On To Your Shorts podcast. My Comic Shop History is sponsored in part by Acme Comics, the oldest and largest comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina. Acme is a full-service, multiple Eisner Award-nominated business. Visit them when traveling or online now at acmecomics.com. And be sure to follow store manager Jermaine Exum on Twitter at Lord Retail and tune in Tuesday evenings for his early new release comics reviews. They say if you live one place long enough, you are that place. My name is Anthony Desiato, and I've lived in Westchester, New York my entire life. This season, I'll be telling my county story through her comic shops, the quintessential stores of the area and the era that are now no more. Everything comes full circle this season with the final piece of my comic shop history. Welcome to My Comic Shop History. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. I am on location here today in Scarsdale on Central Avenue at American Legends, formerly known as One If By Cards, Two If By Comics. And I'm here with store co-owner, Mark Rubin. How are you? I'm doing well. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for coming in. It feels weird to, to just say Mark and not Mark and Donna. Your, well, she, your she's wife about and, 30 feet away, so... Yes. You're your wife and co-owner. Yes. And I was thinking about this in advance of today... I don't think in all these years I've ever heard anyone refer to you individually. It's like always a unit. It's always Mark and Donna. Yes. We, we've been told that we have one mind between us. So <laughs> so she is here. She's uh, watching the front of the store while yes. we do this. Uh, but you're actually going to trade off, and she will join me for the after show that we're going to do. So listeners will have the opportunity to hear from her, and I'm excited to talk to her as well. Uh, but I'm so, you know, I really admire everything that the two of you have built personally and professionally. This store and this episode is kind of in its own category this season because the general theme of the season is, sadly, the lost comic shops of Westchester. And the other five stores that we've been discussing this season are all completely gone. Whereas in this case, you are, of course, still here in the, your original location. Uh, the two of you are the original owners. Uh, but in 2002, on the store's uh, 10th anniversary, I know you renamed, you rebranded as American Legends. Yes. So the version of the store that I shopped at for a period of time in the late 90s, that version is no more, but the store is still here. Yes, we're still around, still kicking. Although it's interesting because we've had people come in in the last five or 10 years and have said on occasion, oh, I, you know, I used to know the owners here. And we just kind of look at each other. And, and we, we pretty much look the same as we did when we opened. And uh, we think, yeah, well, uh, it's still us. Uh, but, you know. Yeah, no, I'm so glad that, that you're still here. And, you know, I hadn't been here in 20 years. I don't know. And then, so just, a, you know, a quick re recap of my comic shop history. After my original store, Heroes World, closed, I started a pull list at Alternate Realities. Just a little, little bit up the road here. Far. And I was there for a period of time. But, and listeners will be surprised by this, <laughs> I, I was into sports. I was into basketball and specifically basketball cards big time in elementary school. And so I actually made the switch 
from alternate realities to one if. And I was a regular here for, I don't know the exact amount of time, but it was a, it was a decent stretch. And I got my comics and my basketball cards sure. here. And then eventually my interest in basketball and the card collecting kind of diminished. And that's when I went back to alternate realities, eventually started working there and the rest is literally my comic shop history. Well, you can't beat the employee discount either, so. Oh, there's, there is that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but so, you know, I really had that a period of time where, you know, One If really is a big part of my comic shop history. And, you know, I feel bad that I never came back. That's all good. After that. Um, but uh, so a few months back, my wife and I stopped in just to chat with you and your wife and to talk about doing the podcast. And it was the first time that I was in here really in about 20 years. It was amazing. And it was great to see both of you. And to be able to interact with you. I mean, I was in here as a little kid, so now to come back as an adult and actually have a conversation with you. It's funny, too, because uh, we celebrated our 25th anniversary about a year and a half ago in the store. And uh, we, we did a big thing. We had a big lead up to it. Uh, the month, uh, it was the actual date was November 11th. And we had people coming in for the week leading up to it. And on that day, we had so many old customers come in, and particularly ones who were your age or even younger, who we hadn't seen in 20, even 25 years. And you look at them, and you, you know there's a, you know there's somebody, and you're trying to kind of do like a facial recognition and project them into the future. And some people you can do it on, some people you can't. But uh, it's it's amazing watching people grow up from the time they were kids now to they have adult their adulthood, and and they have their kids of their own, and some of their kids are into collectibles. It's kind of nice. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a wonderful thing. The, the fact that you have the opportunity to see that, that you've been here so long, when, again, as we've been talking about all these other stores in the area, most have faded away. So the fact that you're still here, really, it's very impressive. Well, thank you. It's funny, too. We actually, it's funny you should mention that also, just because a week ago we had someone like that who, he was a customer when we first opened, and he had come in to, uh, to sell some Silver Age books. And we started talking, and he started to smile. And when he first came in here, he was probably 12 or 13, and he's got a full beard and a thick head of hair. And once he smiled, I'm like, Ramon, that's you, isn't it? And he's like, yeah, that's me. And it, it's just so funny. You could still pick the people out. That's very cool. And I know when I, I emailed you first about doing this podcast and, you know, you said you remembered me just, just from the name. Well, I could actually visualize your name on the comic file sheet. Oh, okay. What if, <laughs> that might be a weird question, but what if any memories of me do you have from that time? You know, I have to admit the, the mid the early to late 90s were just a complete blur. We had just launched the business and we were still, from the first two years we were open, we worked every single day and we were open seven days a week and we had long hours, but we were in our 20s, so it was fine. And even into the mid and late 90s, we were still working six days a week and weeks and months would just go by and blur together. And I honestly, I couldn't tell you what happened from most of the 90s it was just it was just such a it was a lot of fun but it really was a lot of work and uh the days bled together they were long days and long nights but but we were young and it was a lot of fun the business was booming and i'll I'll never forget it i mean i'll never forget the whole concept of it (laughs) specific things i will absolutely forget yeah no i mean i again i completely understand you know everything kind of blurring together that's been a common theme as we've been reminiscing about (laughs) a lot of these stores (laughs) uh but you know it's it's a lot of time that passed certainly so i guess take me to the to the beginning and the opening of the store now i know you had a a background right you had been the manager of a baseball card store yeah so the dragon's end used to be across the street from our current location actually they had started out in uh, a little further south two miles south on central avenue in yonkers and it opened when i was in high school 
And I wandered across the street in 1982, and I started talking to the owners about baseball cards, and they kind of looked at each other, and they're like, you know, we should hire this kid. So I started working for them, and I worked for them through high school, and uh, went to college, and um, I would work for them during the summer times and during the school breaks. And then when I got out of college, uh, didn't really have an idea what I wanted to do. I had a business degree, and they were making just like boffo money. It was 1987. And baseball cards were exploding. Comic books were exploding. Uh, Batman was coming out two years later, and it was just a, it was just really the the tidal wave of the collectibles business. And if if I if you know I always talk about things things were crazy here in the '90s, but in the late '80s and early '90s, it was that to like the tenth power. I mean, everybody was talking about it. It was speculation of the highest order, and uh, you, you know. That that kind of gave us gave me the 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 basis I needed to to start our business. Um, uh, Donna and I met uh, a year or so later. Uh, she was uh, doing uh, public relations. We we had talked about maybe well, let's let's have a business at some point together. And the way things just kind of worked out, the opportunity presented itself um, in '92. Um, she uh, worked for the for the den also for for a year. And uh, we kind of have a, had a falling out with with ownership over uh, over the way we wanted to do things, and we said, you know what, we can do our own thing. Let's do our own thing, and uh, we we launched in November of '92. And, uh, wow, here we are 27 years later. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, it's so interesting. So, you know, I read the About section on your website, and I know it said, you know, you had worked and, and managed at a store. I didn't realize it was Dragon's oh, Den yeah. specifically. Uh, that will be featured, uh, Dragon's Den will be featured in a later episode uh, in this season of my comic show. That'll be History. the e-Hollywood, uh, true Hollywood story. <laughs> of the. I have one of the former customers there, so it'll be a little, a little different <laughs> perspective. Not so much behind the scenes, but more about, you know, what the store was like uh, generally, and specifically the cross-county location, because obviously they had... You know, they had multiple. So you left Dragon's Den and opened your store right across the street. Yes. There was nothing pernicious about this, I assure you. We actually, um, things started to go downhill in the summer of 92 over there for us personally. And uh, we kind of knew something was in the offing. Just You know when you're butting heads with your boss on a daily basis, things are just not going to go well. So we, Donna and I started to have more detailed discussions about, all right, what's our next move? And... Things kind of came to a head Labor Day weekend of 92, and uh, right after that, we just we were sitting around at home that night, and we were talking, and we were like, we could totally do this. And we um, that week, we started to research different locations up and down Central Avenue, and there were, as, as your listeners probably know, there were a ton of stores. You had Alternate Realities. You had New York Sports Fan. Um, yeah, and for, uh, for and Alternate South. had just opened yes. in June of 92. Right. And um, there was the uh, the Collectibles store also. I, I forget their name. But they were also like like a mile south of here. And so we were like, all right, we need to, obviously we need to be on Central Avenue. That's... I've, I've grown up here my entire life uh, since since I was like eight or nine. So this is a highly trafficked road. This is where we want to be. So we went up and down the strip. We looked at different spots. We even looked on Route 119 in Tarrytown. And, you know, it's a decent area, but it just doesn't have the traffic of Central Avenue. I mean, this is kind of like the Sunrise Highway of Westchester. So we looked around. We saw the spot, and we're like, "Well, you know, being across the street from the den could have advantages. People are going to stumble across us, and that's exactly what happened." So, the the first uh, first few weeks we were open was the the death of Superman, 
And That's right. when they ran out of the books across the street, a lot of people found us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, because I was thinking about that in advance of today, the selection of the location, because when uh, Steve Odo has, has talked about selecting the location for alternate realities, and his concern was he even felt he was too close to Dragon's Den. Um, and so at the time, you know, that you opened, it was right across the street and alternate realities was still here. But, I mean, I could see it making sense because clearly there's an appetite for comics in this area, right? And, you know, now if there are people who were dissatisfied with their previous shopping experience, now they have a, a very easy alternative. You know, what's interesting too, I think more so about the comic collectors that we had coming in, more than the card collectors rather, Almost all the people who bought comics here shopped at all the, all the stores because comic people are always looking for something else, mm -hmm. and everyone kind of had their own little niche. Even the, even the Dragon's Den that carried literally everything, they didn't have absolutely everything that people wanted, so they went to alternate realities. They came here. They went to other places, whereas baseball cards were a little more uniform, so they would either go here or they'd go there. But comic people were very, very much ones to go a little bit everywhere. Not to go off on too much of a tangent, but just as a little bit of prep for the Dragon's Den episode, because I, I don't know the answer to this. What was the ownership structure? Because I know they had multiple locations. How was this set up? So when we left, if, if, if memory serves me, um, there were Fred was one of the major owners, and he was the he was the working owner. So um, I had known him for ten years. I'd worked under him for ten years. I'd actually been at the den before he was associated with them. And then they had a bunch of silent partners, and then they had a couple of other people who were involved. And I I wasn't exactly sure what the ownership situation was. Um, and Cross County was a completely different situation. Um, so I'm not gotcha. 100 percent certain about that. Sure. And then, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, when you opened, I mean, did you tell them what you were going to do, or did you? Oh no, no. no <laughs> it's it's funny. So after uh, after the Labor Day blow up, uh, which pretty much ended my ten year employee uh, with the Dragons Den, I've actually not spoken to to Fred since 1992, and uh, it's you know it's kind of strange to see someone almost every day for ten years and then never see them again. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it's interesting. So we. Um, you know, I didn't really feel sheepish about it because realistically, everyone's got to do what's what's best for them. Um, I don't think we really made that much of a difference in their business because things were just exploding then. So, I, and and I think we actually wound up feeding off each other un, until they ultimately went out of business. But that was, I think, more on them than on us. Right. Now, I'm sure this is something that you've been asked a lot over the years, but I've not had the opportunity to, so I must. Tell me about the name, the choice of the name, one if by cards, two if by comics. Okay, so this is probably one of my biggest professional regrets. Um, we were in the candlelight one night. Um, enjoying, oh, yeah, the restaurant. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's still, they're still there, too. The Westchester Institution. Yeah, best swings around. So um, we, we were having dinner, and we were talking about, we were brainstorming about uh, opening a store. And the name, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a U.S. history fan, so, you know, one if by land, two if by sea. So we happened to be eating wings. I took out a pen. I wrote the name down. Little did I know that very few people actually know about U.S. history, particularly ones from uh, the revolutionary time. So uh, a lot of people would come in and say, is this one cards, two comics? It's like, no, look at the sign. Do you see the if by in there? So then... We started working with a marketing person uh, about 10 years in, and he said, listen, you, you got to change your name. I said, fine, we'll change the name. 
Well, it's funny with the name because in doing my research for today, uh, you know, I just did a quick Google search and I think it was either a Google review or a Yelp review. Someone had written like, oh, they changed their their awful original title or something like that. I don't know. I, I liked it. I, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I liked it at the time, but then when you, after answering the phones for a while, it takes forever to say. Although we would answer it one if by cards, which is fine. But even then, a lot of people just didn't get it. And some people thought it was half cards and comics. It, it's like, no, it's not half cards and comics. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I guess I always would refer to it in shorthand as one if. As, as, as one if, yeah. Right? Which, again, that's why we shouldn't have had a super long name, because if you're going to abbreviate it anyway, you might as well just go right to the point yeah it's a tough thing i mean i like the fact that you had cards and comics in the in the name of the store you know we've talked about this many times alternate realities first of all doesn't necessarily roll off the tongue when you're answering the phone quickly and again people would always think we were a real estate agent with alternate realties all the time right well we get right now we get american legion a lot of times we'll get older people calling up and talking about booking the hall and i said i'm sorry if we don't have a hall or a baseball card store okay thank you I guess the point is, no matter what name you choose, people are going to struggle with it, I yeah, guess. Yeah, and, and it's one of those things that you just, you can't anticipate what's going to happen into the future. Even if you would were to recite the name a hundred times to yourself, you can't possibly imagine what someone's going to come up with. No. Honestly, even the, the name of this show, My Comic Shop History, and then my documentary project is My Comic Shop Country. I mean, I can't tell you how many people, my comic book, whatever, you know, and so if whatever the title is, I think people will find a way to, to mess it up, so... That's right. You know, this is jumping ahead. And obviously, I want to spend time in that one if era. But when you made the decision to switch, so you said you hired a marketing or a brand consultant? A marketing marketing person. And so they suggested the, the name change? Yeah, he, he said, listen, he, he's like, you know, it's just not, It's it, again, it doesn't roll off the tongue. One, one advantage that we did have with the one if name by using the numeral one instead of the spelled out version is we got the top billing in the phone book. Mm. So the impetus, one of the, one of the, reasons for American Legends is obviously A comes before everything else. Um, and, and we had a couple of other names that were bandied about, that, a couple that I liked that I, I won't say because just in case we do something else. But, uh, but it, it, it was generic enough, which you, you need to a degree, but it also kind of lent itself to Americana, which was, which was appropriate for what we were, what we were looking for. Yeah, and did you have you found that it conveys enough of what the store is about for potential customers? Uh, to a degree, I, I think again with with just two names or or a single name, it, it I mean it's just impossible to get all that information out with the, with a wide variety of items that that you carry. And you look at other other stores in the industry as well, and it's it's hard. It's really hard to to get everything in a short and succinct manner. So you, know, you do your best. Right. Was there any, you know, because to make a big change like that, I mean, was there any fear of, you know, not necessarily losing existing customers, but people having a harder time finding Oh, yeah, it? absolutely. No, there was a legitimate fear of, uh, of losing existing customers because, you know, when, when you hear a business, you know, if someone pulls up and sees the sign and, you know, maybe some people are turned off, I'm used to dealing with them, they're gone, I'm out of here. Or they, you know, they'll they'll come up and they'll look for the exact sign, and if they don't see that exact sign, they might not pull into the mall. Maybe they just keep driving, or or just the same when they call up. You know, you just right. you just don't know what people are thinking. Now, with the renaming, did that also come with a refocusing squarely on on cards and less so on comics, or did that come later? That came a little bit later. I, I think when. Um, 
probably about four years later, um, we we noticed that we were we were selling a lot of back issues in the '90s, and we were getting a lot of people bringing in uh, books, uh, typically '70s, um, '60s, and, and and the odd Golden Age collection. Um, but that started to really diminish as the late '90s started rolling around and into the 2000s. And the only things that people, the the only back issues that we were able to acquire were the, literally the ones that were going unsold off the rack. And consequently, our back issue sales just fell right through the floor. And in terms of square footage, the back issues were taking up a ton of space. We had 10,000 of them, and there were months going by where we were selling just a handful. And after a while, you start to wonder, all right, why are we doing this? And you know, we still we still carried all the, the mainstream uh, current books, and we still had a following of people coming in for those, but, uh, and, and I'm certainly not adverse to buying Golden Age or Silver Age to this day, and, and in fact, uh, yesterday I was fortunate enough to, uh, to buy someone's collection who uh, had about 3,000 uh, like Bronze Age books and also had a Green Lantern one and a Daredevil one, so that's always nice. Yeah, that's cool. So now where will those be in the store? Because you don't have the back issue bins anymore. We, we don't. So um, it's funny, um, and this this is one aspect of the business that I do like, that when we do purchase a, a collection like that, I'll typically just keep it behind the counter in a temporary fashion. And people people like like the deal aspect. So when they walk in the door, a lot of times people will see a pile of comics and go, oh, what's that? And then they'll start picking through it. And you wind up, because of the immediacy of it and people like getting first crack at everything, will wind up going through a lot more comics from there in a short period of time than we would had we had them displayed in, in the bins for a significantly longer period of time. And as, as far as the uh, the higher-end books, the the Daredevil and the Green Lantern, um, they'll be in our eBay store. Sure. So. Okay. And you still do carry new comics. We do. You have your, your racks there. Um, I see they, they go like just a few issues back. What happens to the them after that point? Yeah, so sadly, um, they come off the rack and we wind up closing them out. Uh, usually, I'll sell them in bulk to a to a discounter and uh, take take a pounding uh, on them. But yeah, you got to move product. But and you still have reservists and Wednesday we regulars. Do. We do. We do. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this this morning on the lead up to the interview. Um, what Wednesdays used to be like, we'd have maybe a dozen people milling around the front of the store, waiting for the truck to show up. Back back when there was a truck. And uh, the the heroes were all truck, I guess, and mm-hmm. and like and, and diamond as well, and yeah, and I and sometimes the truck would show up an hour late, two hour late, two hours late, and I would think, don't these people have to be back at work? But they didn't care, and you know now it's a lot more relaxed. Obviously, the comics come in early. You get, we put them out right before we close and shut the door the night before, and then people kind of you know come in at their at their leisure. So we always wondered the same thing because uh, for years. AR opened at 2 p.m. on Wednesday, so we would spend the morning and early afternoon getting everything set up. And, you know, again, we'd have that line of people out the door. And, you know, 2 o'clock, not, I mean, it could be a late lunch hour, I suppose, but we always had that same question. It's like, don't you have somewhere to be? <laughs> but again, that that passion. And, yes. you know, even if it was taking a later hour or making it work some other way, they did it. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Um, so, but generally speaking, in terms of the, I guess, the identity of the store and what you view it as, I mean, primarily a sport card and memorabilia. Today, shop. absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and I'd say more than anything, a, uh, a vintage sports card store. Um, our, our primary business now are cards produced from before 1970. We carry all the newest uh, sports card releases 
And we still have a, a solid following of people who come in to, to bust their, their wax boxes, which is nice. And we certainly sell all the modern singles as well. But the bread and butter is the vintage cards. That's what we're known for. We're known for buying it and we're known for selling it. So, When Alternate Realities closed a few years ago, did you notice any uptick in comics customers? People? No, surprisingly no? not. I mean, a handful of people. But, um, you know, I, I, you wonder where those people went because obviously there just aren't a ton of stores around. But, you know, now today comics are consumed in such a different way that they were 20 years ago, um, either by subscription or on online. And you, you do wonder, though. Yeah. And I mean, that's certainly been a theme of this season. I mean, big picture, when we compare the Westchester comic shop scene of yesterday and today, I mean, there's far fewer shops. I mean, it's it diminished at a by staggering amount. Yes. I was having this conversation with someone before even about baseball card stores and he was saying he's from Bergen County and how there are, I think, six in Bergen County. And I was kind of surprised because I don't know what it is about this area that scares people away. I mean, certainly it's not an inexpensive area, but then neither is Bergen County. Right. And so that's another big thing that I was, and I'm so curious about. And this is just, you know, my own ignorance. Like I'm pleasantly surprised the fact that the uh, sport card market is still viable like people are still coming in for that and then like buying new cards or primarily the vintage both both yeah it's so the possibly the strangest thing to to me and i'm a little bit jaded because i've been doing this since the year one but um the the values of some of the modern cards is is staggering i mean there are some some Mike Trout cards that have gone for six figures. There are some Tom Brady cards that have gone for that amount. And even, I mean, certainly even some of the, the modern comics like the, you know, the first uh, Harley Quinn mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, you, and you see some of the, the high, super high grade stuff from the 90s and what it goes for. It's, it's really staggering. Yeah. Um, but but I think for, for this, uh, to, and speaking of going off on tangents, which I'm very good at doing, um, <laughs> As far as the modern card market, you 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 could see how the speculativeness of some of these high-end rookies just fuels everything, um, be it Trout or 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 Otani or or anyone like that. It just there are some really rare cards that are are being issued, and for some people, it's 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 a lottery ticket mentality. Right. So, I mean, there certainly are a lot of collectors who who want to get the most recent things and just, you know, they want their favorite players and whatnot. But there are certainly some people who wouldn't mind hitting, you know, a five or $10,000 card. No, and certainly I wouldn't either. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, again, it's, it's especially interesting to me because I, you know, I don't follow sports anymore. I don't collect the card. So I'm not like plugged into that at all. I mean, I remember being a kid getting the Beckett price guide. Do those still come out? Yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, there was a period of time where, again, I was really following it, but I, I haven't in years. And, I mean, I'm curious, like, do, do kids come in and, they do. and buy They do, absolutely, yeah. Right. It's nice. Actually, um, one, of the, uh, one of the strange things that's happened is, it, and it's happened with Pokemon first, and then it's happened with Sports Card second. The, uh, the Pokemon generation was pretty much 20 years ago, and those kids are now adults and their their kids are into pokemon and and the same thing is happening with the sports car generation whereas maybe five or ten years ago there was a little bit of a gap because a lot of people weren't into it for that time period so their their kids weren't but now 
the people your age, right? those are the ones who are trying to get that instilled in their children, this love of collecting and, and the hobby. Yeah. No, that's great. And and again, you know, I guess kind of my assumption was like, I, you know, it. I guess it's just, I figure kids have so many things competing for their attention these days. And we've, you know, talked about it in the context of comics, like how hard it is, you know, to get kids into the store and to get them reading and all of that. So I just assume like, well, it must be, you know, similar with the cards, but that's great that no, they're, they're still into it. And, and speaking of which, you should actually look at your late 90s basketball cards because there are some very expensive cards particularly um, some of the Jordan inserts, and I'm not even talking about the autographed ones, but some of the numbered ones are, are worth a lot of money, so you should definitely look through those. All right. I do have a box of, of my entire basketball card collection. I almost brought it today, but I was lugging all the podcast <laughs> stuff. I'll come back in the future. That's actually something that I guess I'm kind of debating because on the one hand, I haven't looked through them in years, and again, they're just in a box in a closet, so I'm not getting anything out of them uh but you know we do have our baby coming and right. there there's a little bit of that element of like well maybe i should have them not so much to pass them on for any value but just to kind of say like this was something i i put together once i don't know and i suspect the baby will look at you and say i don't care yeah, that's, <laughs> I, that's that's kind of what my, my prediction is so i'm probably most likely you'll see me again at some point with that box of, of basketball cards well most of the people who wind up selling us cards are generally my age, early 50s, to mid to late 60s. And they've collected for a while. Maybe they've lost interest. Uh, they've tried to get their kids to, to develop an interest in it, and they haven't. And the, 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 the person will say, well, when I die, I'll leave them to you. And the kids will say, I'm just going to throw them away or give them away. And the person figures, well, I've invested a lot of money in this. I'd actually like to either give you the money or get some kind of fair value for them. And that's kind of the impetus for, for getting them to sell. So, Yeah, I think I'll, I will take that step probably sooner <laughs> rather than later. And just as far as the cards generally, so obviously specialized in sports cards, I did see Pokemon up front. Yes. Uh, any other, have you ever carried any of the other uh, role-playing games, like Magic or anything we, like that? We had a little bit of Magic in the 90s. We haven't in years. Um, we did Yu-Gi-Oh! in the late 90s, and that was huge, and now not so much. Um, but pretty much just straight sports cards. And we were doing the non-sport as well. We Back uh, during the, um, the, the Star Wars prequel movies, we sold a ton of product. Um, and we still carry all the Star Wars releases, and generally most of the science fiction releases as well. So how many times has uh, someone come in and told you that uh, their mother or someone threw away their baseball card collection? I think we're up to three million <laughs> at this point. The, the funny, the funniest thing is actually, um, people will will kind of give you the background of the story and then tell you how their mom threw their cards away. And when they say it, usually they say it to you as if it's the first time the phrase has ever been uttered. And, and when Don and I started working together, she, she would love to talk to people when they would say that. And I said there, I go, give it six months, <laughs> and you're going to start rolling your eyes. And sure enough, after a while, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I can only imagine how many times uh, that's happened. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I guess it must be tough because on the one hand, you, you know, you don't want to seem callous, right? Like this is something that was always like traumatic for them. Right. Like you've heard it so many times. <laughs> I guess you got to try to find that balance. It's tough. It's tough. It's, I, I guess I, I liken it to the fact of when, um, and I'm sure you, you got this and have since done it, when you were really young and people 
much older than you would look at you and say, I remember you when you were such and such age. And I, it used to drive me crazy. And, and now I'm my age and I'm actually doing it to people. And it serves me right, I guess. Ah, everything comes around. It does. <laughs> Can you talk to me about the, you know, the atmosphere that you strive to cultivate here? Because I would say, you know, uh, comparing, you know, 1F and American Legends to AR, you know, alternate reality has always had more of that like clubhouse feel be a little more cluttered, a little messier. Opportunity for discovery, yes, but definitely a little, a little, a little messier. You know, Steve, the owner, could be a little, little ornery at times. Great guy, and the customers loved him. But he, you know, had, he always amused me. Had that, had that edge to him. And then, you know, looking at your store and relatively similar uh, amount of space to work yeah. with, uh, but always immaculate, always very neat, very clean, very bright and well lit. I don't think I've ever seen you in a t-shirt. You always have a collared <laughs> shirt of some sort. I mean, I'm assuming those were all very conscious choices. It, it was when we opened. We 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 have a Scarsdale address. I mean, we're just across the border from Yonkers. But we wanted to cultivate uh, more of a high-end store. We wanted to have not necessarily high-end customers, but we wanted to have a store that a mom wouldn't be embarrassed walking into with, with their kids and, and feel concerned. Um, I, I, I've been in retailing for a while, pretty much my whole life. I believe people need to be able to find what they're looking for. It needs to be organized in a logical way. I'm also pretty OCD, as is Donna, as is Crystal, who works for us. So it kind of works out that way. And, and it's to the point if I'm walking by the showcase and if I see a card that's out of chronological order, it'll actually bother me enough that I'll walk around and, and correct it, even if I have something significantly more important to do. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I mean, obviously, it served you well that you've you know lasted this long. Well, also, I think the, the most frustrating thing as a retailer is when you have somebody who's interested in buying something and you can't find it. Mm -hmm. So consequently, all, all our inventory is organized to the point where if, if someone's looking for something, we can look it up, we know where it's going to be, and we can make the sale. And that's what it's all about. You mentioned that you, know, you liked Steve. Uh, I'm curious you know, to hear about your relationship with the other uh, Westchester comic shops. Obviously, I know you had the falling out with Dragons Den. Um, we still, uh, it's funny, even even with the falling out, we still, I mean, I was there forever, so I had friendships with a lot of the people there, and, and I'm still Facebook friends with a bunch of them. And uh, I mean, we. I gotta say, I mean, even though things didn't end well, um, I mean, we had some just great times. I mean, the, the days were crazy and they were just, I, I mean, I was, you know, we were young. We were in our early 20s. I mean, even I was in my late teens at, at, at times and I, there were just so many crazy memories of that place. Um, so, I, you know, I still, I still think back on those days very fondly. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. In the previous episode this season, I had uh, Saad Siddiqui, a former worker at Comic Book Heaven, and he spoke about how Morris used to do the framing. Yes, guys. yes. Now, Morris was, uh, Morris is probably the most unique person I've ever met in this business, and that's saying something. But uh, I could still remember the first time we met him. It was, it was maybe a month or so or less after we opened. And he, he came in, and he had, an, he had some, something he was selling, and he, he just laid it right out. He, he said, listen, this is what I want to get. He goes, if you want to buy it, fine. If you don't want to buy it, fine. We'll part ways as friends. I'm like, I like this guy. And, you know, he was no nonsense. He said what was on his mind. You knew where you stood with him. And we actually developed a, a pretty good friendship. Uh, he, was, he was probably 20, 25 years older than I was. Um, and it almost became like a, almost like a, like a father-son kind of thing. I mean, 
I was never close to my own father. I don't think he was particularly close to his own son, but he and I had a lot in common personally. And uh, we would just talk about everything. I mean, we talk about sports, politics, religion, medicine. He's just a very bright guy, uh, almost a Renaissance man. He could do a lot of different things and always interesting to talk to and, and, and just a great sense of humor. That's yeah. Unfortunately, you know, I never had the opportunity to meet him, but it was you know, interesting hearing you describe him and hearing Saad talk about him in the previous episode as well. Uh, very interesting to get a sense of you know who who this person was. Um, any other specific um, or anything specific about the other comic shop owners or managers of the time that really stands out as you look back? Um, yeah, he was the one that we he and Irene and uh, and the comic book heaven crew were the ones we had the most interaction with. I, I we really I mean I I would see Steve from time to time and we always had a, a pretty good relationship. Uh, Good sense of humor. I, I actually like his his acerbic qualities, um, he, he, especially when when he would go on one of his rants. Um, he, he he was a funny guy. Yes, he's known for that. <laughs> but uh, but no, the you know it's funny. The other stories we just didn't really interact with a whole lot. Yeah, I mean certainly you know from my perspective, you know especially working at alternate realities. So what was that like? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, so what was he like as a boss? I have a whole season of episodes. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Uh, no, it was great. It was great working there. Um, yeah, no, he was a great boss. He always prided himself, and I, I can attest to this. I mean, he never asked us to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. So, uh, yeah, no, he was very generous, and, and uh, no, he was, he was great to work for. That's good to hear. Yeah. And, I mean, as far as the relationship between the stores, I mean, I know, you know, we are – sports card selection was very, very minimal. So whenever people would come, to, you know, to ask about that, in almost every instance, we would refer them to you. And I think we got the sense you would refer people yeah, to Yeah, absolutely. Because you guys, comics. you guys definitely had a, a much wider, like, we were pretty much mainstream, like Marvel, DC, Valiant, Image. But if it was something by a smaller publisher, more than likely, we wouldn't carry it. So we would certainly send people to you. Gotcha. As far as working there, I mean, it was pretty informal. I mean, I'm curious, again, obviously I never worked here. What, uh, what's the dynamic like between you guys and, and your employees? Any rules that they have to follow or anything like that? So we used to have a lot more employees um, as, as we were doing a lot more over the counter. Uh, you, need, you needed at least two people here, or actually you needed three people here pretty much at all times. So, you know, I think in a small business, particularly in this industry, there's only so much formality you can have when you're kind of it's to a degree it's a laid back industry i think of the uh the you know the movie almost famous you know when he says the reason we got into this business is because we didn't want responsibility so we we might have had rules written down did we strictly enforce them more than likely not um i mean at the end of the day you know we're the boss and what we say goes but when you have like four or five or six employees, you become friends with them. That's just the way it is. And as long as the request is reasonable, more than likely we're going to say yes. Right. As the Westchester comic shop scene has changed, as we've discussed, and, you know, especially a few years ago when Steve posted his, you know, final manifesto <laughs> about why he was closing. I mean, I guess That was that, a great read, by the way. Did you enjoy that? Oh, what was, was your reaction? I, my, I'm still picking my jaw off off the ground. Could you imagine yourself posting anything like that? No, I can imagine myself writing something like that, but then, but then Donna saying, "No, no, 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 don't throw that away." <laughs> but I'm curious, you know, as you've seen the, a lot of these other stores fade away. I mean, I guess what is your reaction? Because on the one hand, 
you know, maybe there's a sense of like, well, okay, maybe those customers will come here. But on the other hand, I mean, is it, you know, uh, indicative of, you know, lack of in- interest in this in the area generally? Like, as you've seen these stores go, what has the reaction been? It's a, it's a little bit mixed. I mean, it's, it's sad in a way, certainly. But I think, I mean, clearly the comics industry is is, is very strong. I mean... I mean, just look at walk by any movie theater today. I mean, there's there's a there's a comic book movie everywhere. Everyone knows all the characters. I mean, I mean, did you ever think there'd be Guardian of the Ga- Guardians of the Galaxy movie? Of course not. I mean, it was Superman and Batman. And that was it. I mean, granted, now there are still way too many Superman and Batman movies and relaunches and more relaunches. But I I I mean, considering how long the the business has been around, it's 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 I think it's still very strong, and and that's kind of gratifying. Maybe a little bit sad at, at the way things have turned out in terms of the overall volume of stores, but unfortunately, business is ever evolving, and that's just the way things are. Yeah. What about this area generally? Uh, like, for example, there used to be a movie theater directly across from you. It's a party city now. There used to be a blockbuster, right? On yeah, the strip, right next door. Right next door. Right next door. Yeah. Uh, not my go-to blockbuster, but I would go there occasionally. I would typically go to the one on Tarrytown Road. That was more convenient for me. Um, but that's been gone now. Almost 20 years. Really? That yeah. long? Amazing. And then now you have the Alamo Draft House. Yes. Where uh, Movie Land used to be. Right. Right? Any, like, spillover from, from people, like, going to see, like, a superhero movie? No. Like you know, we tried back uh, when Phantom Menace opened to uh, really try to cross-promote and get a lot of the people um from the movies to come over here because we had all the toys, we had the cards. I mean, we had a ton of merch and eh, people just didn't, they just didn't take to it. You know, you try and sometimes it doesn't work. Right. Yeah, no, very true. Um, and then of course, you know, Dragon's Den is no more now. It's a, it's a, bar- it's, a it's been Barnes and Noble, Noble yeah. since like 96, I think, or 97. Yeah. So as far as buying collections, you know, you've touched on this already, but uh, I guess how regularly are you buying specifically the the card collection? Almost every day. Wow. Yeah, actually, about uh, twenty minutes before you came in, I bought a little, little mini collection. But um, got something shipped to me in the mail from someone in Illinois today. I bought uh, two deals yesterday, like three the day before. Uh, you know, and they're all various quantities and sizes and ages. Um, I've been a little less selective in terms of. Uh, enforcing my strict pre-1970 policy because the reality is there are now some cards that are quite a bit newer that are desirable. Certainly, I would say the ones from 81 to 92, with very few exceptions, there are none that are desirable, certainly for baseball. Uh, I could probably name four cards off the top of my head from you know that 11, 12-year period that I would buy. Um, but... Uh, you know, but there are now there are starting to have gems pop up from the late '90s, early 2000s, as I was mentioning about the basketball cards, and there are certainly those from football and baseball and hockey as well. Right. How often are you like, turning a collection away, or is it the case that like you'll not, I don't want to say take anything, but like if for a certain price, like you would take it? So the exception to I'll take it at any price uh, would be if someone comes in with you know 88 Donruss, 90 tops, 87 tops. I'll, and, and then sometimes, you know, people will say, well, uh, I tell you what, I'll sell you this box for only $25. And I, and I said, literally, if you gave this to me, I would say, thank you, but no thank you. And sometimes they'll look at you thinking you're joking. And I say, look, no, no, look behind the counter. Because 
the way I'll, I'll buy a collection sometimes, if I go to someone's house, you know, maybe they're moving, and 80% of the stuff they have is junk, but 20 of the 20% is, is, is good material, and I want it, but they want me to take everything. So I've already factored that out, but it's more of almost a clean out of someone's home. So you take it and you try to sell it. And, and realistically, I know no one's going to buy it. So it'll either make its way into the dumpster or, or a donation if somebody even wants it. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, because at alternate realities, people would come in looking to sell comics all the time. And, you know, even if you talk to them over the phone first and said, like, we're only looking for comics from this period, they would always say, oh, that's what I have. It's, it's really old comics. And, you know, that was the you know, the classic story, they'd come in with their really old comics and they'd be from, you know, the 90s. And they would probably be angry with you. <laughs> yeah, usually. Thankfully, we, we, <laughs> we could always hide behind Steve because he was the one who made the decision. Right. So it was just like, well, it's up to him. And then if you've gotten any trouble, Big Sean would come out. That Who used to work here. Yes, yes. Who used to work here. And I, uh, as the story goes, I think the... The AR crew thought he was a spy that you sent <laughs> over when he initially uh, came over to alternate realities. That's funny. <laughs> He's a good guy. So you you know celebrated your 25th anniversary a couple years back. Yes. What what was that celebration like? It was amazing, actually. Um, we uh, we, we <laughs> you, you do these plans for months in advance, and we did a big lead up. And we were giving stuff away leading up to it, and then we gave away big prizes every hour on the hour during that day. And we were very fortunate. We had a lot of our friends and family come by. And then, as I mentioned before, we had all these old customers we hadn't seen in years. And we got a cake. And uh, we, had, we had a podcast as well. Uh, our first one, you're our second. And um, it, I think we, you know, you, you kind of have expectations of how busy you're going to be. But when we opened the door and it was wall-to-wall people, from the second we opened, we both looked at each other and went, oh, I didn't think this was going to happen. So we pretty much had cake as our meal for the day. <laughs> but, you know, we were running on adrenaline. We had a great time. And uh, it was, just, you know, more than anything, obviously, we, we had a very successful day. But it was just nice to to be reminded and taken back to the early 90s and, and well, you know, what a fun, exciting time it was to build a business and, and see how things have developed over time. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine something like that would be very you know, reinvigorating because I'm sure you know, we've spoken a lot about the challenges of running a store like this. And so you know, to have something that celebratory and that well attended, I'm sure you know, it makes you feel great. It does. It does. It, it's funny. I, I have a, uh, something I, I say to our employee, Crystal, all the time is when, when, when something goes wrong, um, and I don't mean something in terms of running the shop, I just mean like the, one of the lights goes out or, or the, the last year the air conditioner went or I need to you know, do something that I just don't really want to deal with. I look at her and I say, I, all I want to do is play with baseball cards. <laughs> and and it, it was nice to have a day like that where you know all the extraneous stuff that kind of grinds you down on a daily basis is gone and it's just all pure joy memories and good people and 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 fun and and the thing that gave you the passion to start this business to begin with right so i mean you started as a baseball card collector right yeah oh yeah so and you still maintain that passion for it i do um it's funny i don't really collect personally anymore um it's strange because i think once you start to buy and sell you almost can't go back to just to just buying alone and being a collector. I mean, I still have a little amount of, of my own personal collection, but I, I still get juiced up every time I go to drive and look at a deal or, or when someone comes in 
um, particularly someone who, who's older and has a bag and you're like, oh, I wonder what's in that bag. And then they open the bag and it's like 88 tops. And you're like, oh my God, you're like 90 years old. Why do you have cards from like 30 years ago? You should have cards from 60 years ago. So, but it, it's exciting because uh, you know, I, I don't know if you, you probably watch Porn Stars. Um, you know, what Rick always says, you, you never know what's going to walk in. And, and to a large degree, it's true, which is nice because every day is a little bit different. I mean, who wants to do the same exact thing every day of their life? That's not exactly fun. Right. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's so encouraging to hear you still have enthusiasm for this after 27 I years. I love this. Are you kidding? I get to play with baseball cards all day. What could be better? We're still a few years away, but have you started thinking at all about the 30th, the big 30th anniversary? No, actually not, no. not one bit. <laughs> Another name change maybe? No. <laughs> no, no, no. We're done, we're done changing names. We're, we're at the top of the directory and we're staying that way. Over the course of this podcast, over these five seasons, like we've talked a lot about the, rela- the retailer's relationship with publishers, the comics publishers, with Diamond, the distributor, of course, with the customers. And I'm curious, because again, I don't, I don't know the sports card world. So I think I read an interview that you gave, it might have been for the 25th anniversary, where you t- said that sometimes it feels like you're squeezed in between the manufacturers and the customers. To a degree, yes. I, I think any small business owner probably feels that way, regardless of what business they're in. I'm sure restaurants feel that way as well, between you know the food suppliers and the customers. You know, it, being in a small business has a lot of challenges. You obviously want to make your customers happy at all points, but a lot of times maybe you're dealing with people on the supply side who they don't they don't really need you. So you don't have any leverage on the people above you. But also, ironically, you also have no leverage on the people <laughs> who you're selling to who have leverage on you. So you you do get squeezed a lot on both ends and you 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 obviously you have to make your customers happy that's why you're here you don't necessarily have to make your suppliers happy they should be making you happy but that doesn't always work that way so uh, just for my own education so the the card manufacturers were talking like upper deck and upper deck tops um panini are are the three ones uh, the three major ones that are around today and then are you ordering from them directly, or there's a distributor? No, we, we actually deal with a distributor now. We were direct for a long time. We're selling less of the uh, the newer releases. Um, and I, I kind of like, at this point, for our business to to just do the distributor thing for, uh, for, for new products, for cards, because inevitably, right now, cards are very hot as far as new product. Uh, the manufacturers have cut back on supply over the last couple of years. There will come a point where there will be a reversal, and I think it's not going to be pretty when it happens. Um, and I think a lot of the the new people who've gotten into it who've never seen a downturn are going to, if you want to talk about being squeezed, they're going to get really squeezed. Mm-hmm. So, Very interesting. Yeah, and so, and what's the distributor? Uh, it's a GTS. Are there multiple, or is just is it like Diamond, where there's just the one? No, no, there are multiple distributors. I mean, there are some bigger distributors scattered throughout the country, but I mean, they're they're probably the biggest one in the Northeast. Okay, and then like you sell uh, the individual packs and boxes. Yes, and and as well as uh, the factory sets when those come out from Tops. Okay, it's a, again, you know, I used to spend a lot of time, uh, you know, pouring over, looking at the at the case, which I'm staring at right now, looking at the you know the individual cards and buying the packs. I remember one time I was I was sick at home and I had taken a nap and I woke up and my mom had come and gotten me uh, 
I want to say it was an Allen Iverson card that I had had my eye on, uh, and I was very excited about that. And I used to, you know, used to trade them at school, like, you know, the friends of mine who were into that as well. You know, again, while it's something that I don't have anymore, you know, the passion for it, I mean, I, I have very fond memories of it. It was a lot of fun. Well, that was a good time. You you started collecting in a good time period. because so you had the Iverson, Kobe, yeah. Jordan was still around. It, it, right after we opened... Shaq was the big rookie, and 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 you talk about how everything kind of came to a head at one time. So we open up, and Superman gets killed off. Okay, pretty much the biggest event in comic history, mainstream coverage everywhere. I mean, they're doing Superman, Death of Superman skits on Saturday Night Live. Uh, followed up with Shaquille O'Neal, who's the most highly touted basketball rookie of all time. So fast forward four or five years later, everyone has these. They're massively overproduced. Everyone drops out of the industry, and the production on everything goes way down. And when you start collecting again with Kobe and, and Iverson and even those late 90s Jordans, the supplies are significantly less, which, why, which is why those are now pretty good cards. Right. Yeah, I know. It's, it's fascinating, the cycles that these go in. Um, but so, you know, like I was saying, when we talk about comic shops, we talk about challenges in the form of lack of returnability, uh, I know retailers, you know, have have an issue with the quantity and quality of product being yes. put out there, things like that. You know, from your perspective, dealing with the sports, I mean, where where what types of challenges are you are you facing that might be akin to that? I think comics have an advantage that cards don't for for retailers in the sense that um, you know now with the online ordering with Diamond, you can adjust mm-hmm. pretty much right up until uh, the the comics are coming out, and that really does eliminate a lot of the mistakes. Um, the, the one disadvantage is we're not selling as much as we used to. So if you make a mistake, it's you're pretty much short of either losing money or not making money. Um, as far as the cards go, you have to make uh, commitments to product many months in advance. And you know what? There could be an economic downturn. Uh, someone who's a hot rookie can wind up blowing out a knee. And you know you've already made a commitment to purchase X amount and product rolls in and you know everyone's stuck in either a cash crunch from the economy tanking so you're not selling it at retail plus the wholesale price is tanked uh you have manufacturers who can decide well this is going to be a super successful product let's keep the presses going a little bit longer so what started out as a decision that you made which was a good decision at the time you're working with imperfect information turns out two or three months down the road it was a disastrous decision so Interesting. So it's so how many months in advance are you ordering? So right now, for some of the products, it's anywhere like two to three months. Okay. So, so that is similar to, uh, you know, obviously like ordering comics through yeah. through previews. Um, but yeah, certainly a lot of uh, X factors that can come up in, in between. So yeah, it's again, it's a whole other world that uh, you know I never knew sort of the the behind the scenes of. It's very interesting. Yeah, it's just not a lot of certainty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you've been doing this a long time. I mean, you've amassed certainly a level of expertise in this. So do you find that you're often consulting others or do, do people look to you as a yeah, I've as done, an expert? Yeah, I've done. I do a lot of appraisals. I've done some uh, consulting on behalf of people in some legal matters. Um, been interviewed for a lot of different articles and uh, publications. So, yeah, I, I, I get my fair share of pub. <laughs> and. <laughs> Thank you again for the interview, by the way. Yeah, no, it's yeah. my. I mean, this is, uh, you know, again, I've been excited to revisit all the stores featured this season. Oh, it's your they, childhood. I mean, it's my childhood yeah. that, you know, they all, they all played a role. They were all part of my routine. 
And, you know, this one in particular, like, you know, I, again, like I went to comic book heaven a bunch of times, but I wasn't a regular customer. It wasn't a weekly thing, but this, this was, you know, my mom would bring me, I guess when I was certain times she would come in, obviously, like she met both sure. of you. Uh, then there might've been times where she just waited in the car and I came in by myself. But um, I asked her this and she, she didn't remember. But when I, when I left to go to alternate realities, I said, did we tell Mark and Donna I, I hope, do you have any memory of this or no? I don't, but... Hopefully we did. So this is probably, and I could see Steve ranting about this because it's probably like the comic shop owner's number one pet peeve. Is oh, the, yes. Is, you know, you, you, you do the files every week and there's that one point where you, you kind of like, you're looking through the file and you're like, wait a minute, why is there five consecutive numbered issues of the same title, and that's when you start to think, oh, we're gonna die with these, aren't we? And you call the number, it's either out of service, or the person says, yeah, you know, I, I don't want those. Well, that's great, but you could have told us this three or four months ago. Right. So, and you know, like, you, like we've discussed, the comics aren't returnable, and at that point, what do you do? Mm-hmm. You don't do anything, you, you wind up eating them. I believe we- <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you did, you're a man of high, high character. Although, but again, at the time, like I didn't know all of the ins and outs sure. of this, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll go with that we did. <laughs> but actually, on that note of like, reservists, like, do you have like when a new set of cards is coming out, uh, do you have people who like reserve them? In yeah, we have we have people that we that have specific buying patterns, and you know, if the tops complete set for the year is coming out, we have about a dozen people that we know. All right, we'll give them a call. They bought this in the past, and or even if a new uh, particular baseball issue comes out or hockey issue, we have a couple of people um, actually this week who we put stuff aside for, and they haven't specifically said we want this, but. Just knowing their buying patterns, we'd rather be safe and give it to a regular customer who's going to really appreciate it than someone who just walks in who gotcha. is going to buy something, you know, spur of the moment. I have one more question about the future, but before that, what what have I not asked you about your experience here that uh, that has been a, a defining element of one of my cards, two of my comics slash American wow, Legends? That's a tough one. Um, you know, we we actually so when we first opened, uh, we were partners with a hockey player. Uh, Darren Turk out of the New York Rangers. Uh, he actually got traded uh, several, probably like four or five months, uh, or no, maybe about a, no, about a year after uh, we opened. And then unfortunately, the Rangers won the Cup after he got traded, which think back to that, had, had he still been on the team, what would 1994 have been like in the store? As it was, the first half of the year was phenomenally successful. And then there was the baseball lockout uh, slash strike of the middle of 94 and our business just went right off the cliff. So I, I kind of wonder back then, you know, what would have happened? Would, it, would that have kind of carried us through the year and kind of dampened some of the, blunted some of the uh, the fall off in business that happened, which which honestly lasted probably for a solid year. Hmm. So um, there I go off, going off on a tangent again. No, but great. no, I was going to say, so uh, because of Darren, we wound up doing a lot of player signings because of his contacts with the team. And we kind of carried that out for the last, you know, pretty much up until last year. And, and, and we haven't done a signing since, but we've done over 100 players uh, throughout that time. And, and actually, we had done a bunch of comic artists, um, including the Simonsons, mm-hmm. another husband and wife team. Yeah. And uh, Don Heck and, and a few other people who were uh, just nice, nice people to be around. So other than uh, Darren, so was he the only other co-owner that you ever had? We, um, he was a co-owner. We had a silent partner and then a couple of, uh, my mom had, had bought in a small share and my, uh, my brother as well. So, uh, but now it's just us. Gotcha. 
Well, kind of, you know, to wind this down here, you know, I'm always curious about what you envision for the future. I mean, it doesn't sound like you guys have any, uh, you know, not looking to stop anytime no, soon. No, no, definitely not. But have you given any thought to, you know, eventually, like a long time down the road? I mean, what do you envision for, like, what would you want to become of, of American Legends? Like, would you want to sell it to someone else and have it continue? Or would you rather have it leave with you? It's interesting. I don't, I don't really have a timeline in mind so that it's kind of hard to say. I think I, regardless, I'd want to keep the name for myself. So if, if, you know, who knows how much of the internet is going to be in terms of our percentage of our business 10 or 20 years from now, 20 years from now, put me in my seventies. But I think with the internet aspect, I could certainly, we, we can continue doing this into old age if we wanted. Um, do would I want to continually come to work every day 20, 25 years from now? Probably not. Um, but I really, I really haven't given it super long term thought in in that manner. Maybe, maybe I should. But I'm to a degree, I'm a little of a fly by the seat of my pants person. Yeah. Well, certainly it's nothing pressing that you need to decide. <laughs> no, no, it's just always interesting. I, I haven't thought about the 30th anniversary, so I haven't <laughs> thought about the 50th. Yeah, because I mean, I could see it going either way. Like on the one hand, I mean, I think there's probably something attractive about like leaving that legacy, like the store's still here, new people can discover it, uh, bring their kids here, like, you know, have it go on and on. But at the same time, right, obviously you wouldn't want it to continue and then become something that that we didn't right, exactly. what your vision for it was, right? So, And I, and I think if if... If we ever did sell the store, I, I would think whoever would want it, whoever bought it, would want to do their own thing and put their own imprint on it, which they absolutely would have the right to do. Um, but again, I'm a little OCD. I want things done my way, so we're not going to let that happen, are we? <laughs> Just one last thing. Speaking about sure. the internet, so how big a part of the business is it? It's a, it's a large amount. I mean, through, through eBay. Uh, th- yeah, we have an eBay store, AMER Legends, and um, yeah, we sell a ton of vintage. Uh, graded cards and uh, a lot of other oddball types items as well and uh, now it's been great for us yeah and was that something that you were quick to adopt or did it take some time to build up to it I mean we jumped on eBay probably in like 98 and then started to do more and more business through it and then as as most comic book or baseball card retailers will tell you the, the foot traffic just started to get less and less over the years, and um, other retailers as well could certainly vouch for that. And you know, you you have more time, and you have to decide: all right, do is this what I want to keep doing, and and what what way can we make that happen and still be successful? And fortunately, we we started to transition that way probably in about two thousand eight, and started to all right, let's let's see how much more we can put it online. And, and continue to, to serve customers and, and continue to have our business be at a certain level that we, we want it to be at. Right. Well, I want to thank you so much for, for doing this. Uh, I'm so glad that you're both still here doing this. And, you know, I wish you lots of luck in the years ahead. And you'll probably see me again with my basketball oh, card so. collection. Uh, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for uh, 30th uh, anniversary celebration news down the line a bit. Uh, where so Obviously, people can come to the storefront here in person. Absolutely. But if they wanted to reach out to you otherwise, what's the best way to get in touch with the store? Um, probably the best way is just to call us. Um, we're, uh, we're at 914-725-2225. Um, you could certainly drop, uh, drop us an email. Um, my email address is mark at A-M-E-R-L-E-G. E-N-D-S dot com. 
Perfect. Well, thank you for being part of this episode. Hey, thanks for coming in. Thank you for being part of my comic shop history. <laughs> uh, so I am going to speak with your wife, Donna, in the after show, which will be available exclusively for members of the My Comic Shop History Patreon page. So if you'd like to hear that, be sure to sign up. And then we will be back with an all-new episode in two weeks. Until then, don't be a flat squirrel. If you like what you hear, please consider joining the My Comic Shop History Patreon page. I know we're all subscribed to a million different services these days, but your Patreon support helps me cover the costs associated with maintaining the podcast. Plus, you get access to a ton of exclusive bonus content, starting at the $1 level, including the My Comic Shop Book Club, Beyond My Comic Shop, and My Super Fan History subseries. If you enjoy the regular episodes, I promise you'll dig the Patreon ones. Thanks to everyone who has already signed up 